When a grown man takes a hammer and he begins to hammer nails and fasten wood together, because of his knowledge, size, and strength, he can with ease and time build something grand. He can build a home, he can build a shed, he can build a great edifice for something, he can build whatever he wants because he has the knowledge, the size, and the power to do so. But you could take the same hammer out of the hand of a man with knowledge and power and strength and put it in the hands of a toddler. And that toddler can mimic and pretend and act like the man, but the truth is he isn't building much. It takes something special to build something. And I say to you that today in the church, we have many people who know how to mimic what once brought great building and power and strength in the body. And I feel today that as a church, you and I need to be very careful that we don't learn how to swing a hammer like a toddler and mimic those that once had something grand and powerful, but that you and I also become something powerful and learn how to operate in the kingdom of God. The religious actions in the service can be easily mimicked. There are many times I feel like I've gone to churches and I felt like there was a whole lot of toddlers leading. And what I mean by that is that they had no spiritual depth within themselves. They were only mimicking what they saw others do or heard others do. You see, my dear friend, we all sing the same songs primarily. Some people are given to old hymns more than they're given to some of the modern songs. But the truth is, in this church, we pretty much sing about every song we can. If we like it, we sing it. It's no big deal. But the truth is, we could sing the song, but the power that comes behind the song isn't determined by the song, is it? It's determined by the person who's singing it, determined by the heart that's connecting with God. That's what determines it. And the truth is, it's not the size of the person or the strength of the person that truly matters. Because God has demonstrated time and time again that it, spiritually speaking, God doesn't need size, strength, or talent. If that was the case, he would never have used David. David was a young, ruddy little boy, come down to a fight, and everybody else was petrified of a giant. But hidden in the heart of that little boy was a giant killer. A strong, powerful man. Powerful in the ways of God. To believe beyond his own abilities to see God do things that God, only God could do. And church, I feel like there are, today we, we, we see a lot of, lot of stuff in the church that is, is toddler acting, is mimicking, and just going through the motions. I read to you several scriptures where God accepted Noah's sacrifice and he inhaled and said, this is sweet, this is wonderful, I love what I am smelling here. But then we read where God said to Cain, I don't accept this. And he rejects it. And we read where, where, Isaiah, where Isaiah said, what is the purpose of your sacrifices to me? What are you, what's the goal of what you're offering to me? And then we read again where in, this, in the next, in the first Samuel, where Samuel said, what does God really want from you, Saul? Does he want you to offer bulls and goats? Does he want that from you honestly? Or does God really want your obedient heart? What is it that God really wants from you? 
And what I'm trying to tell you, Christian, is this, that we can learn how to go through the motions of church, and when we do that, it stinks in God's, in His nostrils. God doesn't want us to learn the motions. He doesn't want us to have an experience that is dated because our grandpa's grandpa's grandpa had an experience. I'm thankful for the experience of my grandmother and what she has taught me. But I cannot live off grandma's experience. I'm thankful for the heritage that I have from the church I grew up in and from those who taught me and developed me. I'm thankful for that. I will never ever dismiss it or count it as not being worthy in my life. But I will tell you this, that's not good enough for me. I have to have what God calls sweet and smelling in His sight in my life. The same glory that fell for my grandma, I want that glory to fall for me. The God of yesterday is still the same God today. And I say the God who blessed Noah and the God who touched Abraham and the God who touched Moses and the God who touched Joseph and the God who touched the prophets and the God who was upon David and the God who was upon Saul is the God that I serve today. And if he's the same, then I can count on God. I can count on him today. I was thinking about this this week and it spurred this whole thought Because as I was thinking about the sweet-smelling aroma, I got to thinking, man, I don't know if I would like the smell of blood and goats and stuff. and all. I don't think that's not the smell I'm thinking I really want to smell. But to God, it was a sweet-smelling aroma. And He smelled it. And it wasn't the smell necessarily of the sacrifice, but it was from the heart of the man. That was offering it. And I, I asked myself this question. I was asking God in prayer. God, how does our church smell? How do we smell? And I, I'm not being funny, honestly. I know it's cute, but I'm not being funny. How do we smell, God? When our worship team picks songs to lead, what does that smell like to you? When, when I'm in my study and I'm asking you to give me a word, what does that smell like to you? God, what does it smell like to you when we're in here as a congregation and we got our hands lifted and we're praising you and we're giving honor to you and we're giving glory to you? What is, what is coming up before your nostrils? What, what is it that you smell coming from this church? When we give in the offering, when we sacrifice of ourselves, when we give of our time, God, do are you pleased or are we giving and sacrificing in vain? I was asking this question, and I, I, and it boils back to the very beginning of building this building. I was standing right there by where Brother Reuben is there and Brother Jimmy. I was standing right there, and I was finally alone, and I finally had time to pray alone, and everyone had left. Gerald had left. Everybody was gone, and it was just stud walls in here. And I had been working so much that God was literally giving me sermons while I'm swinging a hammer. And I, I, was, I was so tired and I stopped for a moment and I said, God, unless you really build the house, we labor in vain. Unless you're here, it's vain. Can I tell you, church, that we need to be careful that what we are in this place, it smells so good to God that he embraces what we offer to him. Jesus made it clear when he taught about uh, the he taught the parable of the of the publican, uh, the tax collector, and the Pharisee. 
He said the Pharisee knelt down to pray. And as he began to pray, he, he kind of puffed himself up and said, I'm glad I'm not like that tax collector over there. I'm glad that I fast twice a week. I'm glad that I give, I give to you, Lord. I'm glad I am who I am. And he honors himself in his own prayer. But then the tax collector, not that far away, kneels down in prayer. And he doesn't even lift up his head. But he beats his own chest and he says, I am a sinner. I am not worthy of you. Have mercy on me. And Jesus said this, the one who goes away justified is the tax collector. The one that no one likes or even tolerates or hates and can't stand. That's the one who leaves justified. Why? Because the truth is, Christian, that it's about our heart that matters when it comes to giving offerings to God. You can give all day long, but if your heart isn't right with God, it doesn't change the smell of it. I don't care if you give the church a million dollars. You're not buying your way into this thing. I don't care if you have talent. You're not going to get in that way. It doesn't work that way. It's about the heart that is prepared for him. It's about the heart that is connected to him. It's about the heart that wants to please him. Christian, you and I have only one obligation in life, and that is to do what the Lord says to do. And that is to give him all that we can give him. To lay it all down and say, Father, here's my life. I want it to smell good to you. Here's my home. I want it to smell good to you. Here's my children. I want them to smell good to you. Here's my worship. Oh, Lord, let it smell good to you. Lord, here's my offering. I want it to smell good to you. I want this to be yours, Father. I want it to be all yours. And I want you to be pleased with it. My dear friend, has it ever has it occurred to you that what you're offering, does it please him? When you raise your hands, does it please him? Think about it because it, it's something you can only answer in your own heart. I can't answer that for you. I can only answer that for me. I can only answer for me and say that well, I believe that the Lord, that I'm, I'm offering what I should and I'm, I have my heart in the right place. That's, I can only do that for me. Only you can do it for you. Only you know what you're offering and what your heart really means when you're doing it. Because I've been in church a long time, my friend. I've seen a lot of folks fake it. And I've heard fake it till you make it. But I'm telling you, we need to quit fake until we make it. We need to have the real authentic thing. I don't want to be a generation like after Joshua that hears about the powerful works of God and then does what is right in their own eyes. I want to experience the powerful works of God in my lifetime. I want to see miracles. I want to visibly watch people be healed of sicknesses and disease. I want to hear prophets prophesy. I want to see things part and things change. I want God, when I'm fishing, to fill up my boat too where it sinks. I want that to happen. Every fisherman said amen. Amen. <laughs> amen. You see this? The question is this. Uh, the, 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 the statement I want to make is this. We need God to receive what we're offering. He received from, he received from Noah, but he rejected Cain. He received from David, but he rejected from Saul. And so the question becomes, where's the heart? Where's the heart? You see, there, it's a prepared heart. What is the difference? What is the difference between a Saul and a David? 
What is the difference between a Noah and a Cain? What is the difference? What, what, what does God receive? Why does God receive from one and reject another? And the answer is just as clear as it can be in Scripture. It's a prepared heart to meet the Lord. It's as clear as day. Ezra 7.10 says, Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the Lord. He prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it. What a statement. Anybody can read the Bible. Anybody can pick up the Bible and read it. It's another thing to make it change your life and start walking it. But Ezra made up his mind. That, that word prepared his heart. It literally means that he said, I'm going to read this. I'm going to know it. I'm going to absorb it. It's going to become who I am. It's going to become how I feel. It's going to become what I think. It's going to make me walk a certain way. It's going to make me speak a certain way. It's going to make me praise a certain way. It's going to make me worship a certain way. He prepared his heart for whatever God had to say. But how often have we come to church and it took everything just to move you to raise your hands. A prepared heart that comes ready. There was a day in Pentecostalism where they wouldn't come in the doors of a church without stopping and giving glory to God. Don't get me wrong, I love that you're here. But wouldn't it be awesome if we started coming to church and instead of just fellowshipping one another, we got on our knees and fellowship with Jesus before the service. Wouldn't that be awesome, church, if, if we actually made this house not just about gathering together, but gathering with him? That would be more powerful than just us getting together, wouldn't it? It'd be more powerful. We would have dynamic services when it becomes all about Jesus and pleasing him. When we prepare our heart to be in his presence. My dear friend, think about it. How did you come to church tonight? Did you come with a prepared heart? That said, I have come to hear, to receive, to be changed, to be challenged. I don't want this to be a normal service. I don't want to just go to church and sit on the pew and then go home and say it was good to be in the house. I want you to say something to me, God. I want to hear what you have. I want to be what you want me to be. That's a prepared heart. You come not waiting for the song to move you. You come already moved. You come not wanting the, not needing the preacher to move you. You're already moved. And then it's an easy time to worship in this house. If every single one of us came with a prepared heart, oh my goodness, the Holy Ghost would move in this house like none other. We wouldn't be able to have a normal service. We wouldn't be able to get to the preaching because you came prepared to praise. And you wouldn't care what your neighbor thought about you. You wouldn't care what anyone else said about you. You would act crazy and go nuts because you're Pentecostal and that's what we do. We are crazy and nuts and we love to praise. And when we come with a heart like that, oh, in unity, something happens in the house. It's the prepared heart that wants to meet God. You see that prepared heart. The Bible said Noah found grace in the eyes of God. Why? Because there was something in Noah that God captured God's attention. I'm saying to you, you and I need to have something in our life that is capturing God's attention. A prepared heart creates an avenue for God to move. It creates an avenue for God to move. 
And I say to you, the reason why God could use a David was because his heart was prepared for God to do it. The reason why Saul couldn't be used was because he was lifted up in pride and he felt like he could do what he wasn't supposed to do. The reason why God couldn't use Cain was because he kept he held something back or his heart wasn't in the right place. I don't know the fullness of why God rejected Cain, but I know God had a reason for rejecting it and he accepted Abel. Can I tell you, if you want to be lifted up by God, the Bible said that Cain's countenance fell after God rejected him. Can I tell you, if you feel any sense of rejection, maybe you ought to check what you're offering. Maybe you ought to check what you're giving God because many people are, I want God to accept what he says. That's, that's, that's foolish. There's blemishes in that. I don't want that. I don't want no blemishes here. Give me what you got. Give me, the, give me something prepared. Something prepared. And when you prepare something, my dear friend, there's effort and time put in place to get it prepared. It's when you prepare it, it says, I'm serious about it. I'm serious about it. I like it when Brother John prepares his uh, jalapeno bread. It's good. Eggs, toast, jalapeno bread. The Lord's in that. But the jalapeno bread don't just come out of the oven, does it? Do you wake up and the jalapeno bread walks out on the counter and goes, hey, John, here I am. No, it doesn't do that. You don't get something like that that smells so good, that tastes so wonderful without preparation. And can I tell you that what we need in this church is more of the preparation for the Spirit of God to move in. The avenue to move in. The power of God to move in. And to do that, Christian, I can't do it for you. I can do my preparation work, but I can tell you I can have revival with or without you. Amen? The great thing I love about God is I love corporate revival, but I can have revival while I'm in a prison. Amen? I can have revival in a shutdown room. I can have revival out in Timbuktu all by myself. I've had revival many times all by myself. I've preached to the trees. I've preached to the walls. I've preached to my bed. I've been revival all by myself. I prophesied to myself. I preached myself under conviction when no one else was there. Amen. Because I can have revival all by myself. But I'm saying, wouldn't it be awesome if we had it together? Amen. It would be awesome. Preparation gives God an avenue to move. And I say to you about preparing your heart to meet the Lord, it also means come before him with a knowledge of who he is. What I mean by this is don't come so carelessly. And I said this already, but it's worth noting again. I'm glad you're here. But in all honesty, we didn't come to talk to you. We came to hear from God. To be in his presence. Amen? And so when we come here, we need to have this knowledge of who he is. And I don't know if I gave you this verse, but I'm going to quote it to you. Malachi 1.14 says, But cursed be the deceiver who has in his flock a male and takes a vow instead, but sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. But he's got the good, but he don't give that to God. He's got the ability to give the good, but he doesn't give it to God. He offers to God what is blemished. And then God says, For I am a great king, says the Lord. 
I'm a great king. Is he a great king? He's a good God. And I say to you, he is worthy of more praise and more honor and more glory than any person that we could ever elevate to a place of honor and glory. And I want you to think about it. If the President of the United States, whether you like him or you don't, shows up to your house, are you just going to pull out the, the cheap stuff, the paper plate, the plastic cups? Well, you might. I don't know. But <laughs> maybe that ain't the great example. <laughs> Shouldn't have gone political, amen. <laughs> but you get what I'm trying to mean. Somebody of great honor, somebody comes to your place, or you go to visit them. What if you were invited to the White House? Think about how, how you would be honored. Think about how you would be thinking about, what do I wear? I'm going to the White House, you know. i gotta, I got to think about this. What, what do I do when I get there? i got to have the right manners, you know. There's a right etiquette that I need to uphold when I get there. Think about that. You do that, and you're in the presence of somebody who is weak, who doesn't have the power, who doesn't have the glory, who doesn't have the majesty as such as God has. And I say to you, how, how casual sometimes we come to church and we're not even thinking that we're in the presence of greatness. That we're in his glory. In his presence. We didn't just come to any old house. We came to a place consecrated and dedicated for his glory to move. And how, how unprepared so many just casually come in. And don't get me wrong, I don't necessarily think God truly cares about how you look when you worship Him or when you come to Him. But I think you should care about how you look when you get in front of Him. I think you should be thinking about, I want to be so pleasing to Him that I don't even want my wardrobe to offend Him. Amen? I want everything about me to attract Him to me. Are you following me? I'm talking about a prepared heart to receive him, to be in his presence. And, 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 and again, don't get me wrong. I'm not preaching a clothesline message. I'm talking about simply embracing more of God and, and, and trying to see him in his glory and recognizing that he is majestic and powerful. We're not just in anybody's, in anybody's presence when we're in his presence. Don't be careless when you come to him. And coming, come, come knowing that God is going to meet you in this house. When you come here, believe that you're going to meet him. Don't come thinking, well, I will see what happens. It might happen. We might see the glory. It's that little error of doubt that definitely stops the glory from coming. Because I say to you that we ought to come before his presence believing that whatever we ask for, he will do. If they're sick, they'll be healed. If they're dead, they'll rise up again. If they can't hear, the ears open. If they're blind, their eyes are open. If they're lame, they walk. I mean, believing it, church, believing that we are in the presence of power, in the presence of his glory, actually believing what God is capable of doing. Matter of fact, there was a day in Pentecostalism where we would take people to the house of God because we knew God was going to do something. We didn't come with a hope. We knew it. 
And God always shows up when there's this expectation in the heart of the people that says, I know God will meet me here. I know he will. A prepared heart to meet the Lord prepares to give God an avenue to move. And they understand who they are standing in front of, who they are worshiping, why they are there. They understand it. And people who prepare their heart to meet the Lord, they offer God the best. And they don't hold back. They don't hold it back. They don't try to do it themselves. They give God their best. It's a shame that what you have, you may not offer. When you could be honoring God with with the best that you have, and you hold that back. I say shame on you if God has given you a talent and you don't use it. Shame on you. Shame on you if you hide in fear. You hide in fear because you don't think you have the talent or the capability and you're just afraid of what everybody else might think of you. Shame on you. That talent you got wasn't for what everybody else thought about you, but it was for what God thought about you. And he loves to hear if you sing, if you preach, if you teach. He loves to hear that come out of you. And so I say to you, don't you dare hold back anything from God, but give it all to God. Give him your very best. God said through Malachi that that they had male flocks. They had the capability of giving me the best, but they held back and they gave me blemishes. They They gave me the faulty stuff. They gave me the stuff they didn't care about. Can I tell you, God doesn't like your leftovers. You come dragging in, well, I'm here. I made it. I'm tired, but I made it. So enthusiastic. I'm so glad that you showed up. I, I, I really feel like the Holy Ghost is going to give you a dream while you're sleeping in church. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. I understand being tired. But I say to you, if you have to take a nap before you get here, you take a nap. And you come with honor in your heart. And you say, I can't sleep in church. i got to be in his presence. I got to hear what the word of God says. I got to glory in his presence. I got to be excited about this thing. Sure enough, the devil's trying to steal that from me. And so I got to get excited about it again. I got to fire it up again. I got to burn about it again. Hmm. Offer God the best. I find it fascinating that the people who don't offer God the best are often the ones who complain about God not moving. Really? But it happens so often. Well, I'd really be excited if something happened in the church. Well, maybe God's waiting on you to give him something he can move in. So that he can move on you, move through you, move upon you. I'm, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to get all... I feel like I'm preaching too hard. I love you. I love you. Amen. <laughs> Offer God the best. Don't hold anything back. A prepared heart to meet the Lord prepares to give God an avenue. He comes before God with a knowledge of who he is. And they offer God the best. They don't hold anything back. Now I want to talk to you about something that, that, that's going to get real sticky. 
But I want you to know from my heart that all I'm doing is I'm trying to point to God in every aspect of our life. Because I want to say to you, push away anything that might bring an offense. Now, I want to talk about some gray areas in Christianity. Briefly and quickly, and I'm not going to... I'm not going to defend, but I'm going to tell you my position is to avoid all these areas. Because I find them to be gray areas entirely. Some of them I think I have good ground to stand upon. But I don't have time to dive into it, but I'm going to, I'm going to mention them. A gray area in Christianity, gambling. We live right next to the gambling central station of the world. Las Vegas, Laughlin, they're known for this, gambling. Well, what's wrong with gambling? Does the Bible say anything about gambling? No, it really doesn't. It doesn't say thou shalt not gamble. But it does say be a good steward. But it does say that you need to give to God what is, belongs to God. And it does say, and I feel like gambling tends to be habit for me and it tends to steal from people. And so I could preach on this all day about being a good steward with your money and gambling being a waste of your money. But we could also talk about moderation and get into all that business. So I say to you, this is a, this is a real gray area. Here's another one. Tattoos. There are so many Christians today just like, oh, tattoos, no big deal. I'm going to go get another tattoo. And here's the thing, there's only one scripture in the Bible that actually preaches against tattoos, it's in Leviticus, and the text it says, literally it says, don't ink or don't print on the body for the dead, and you could get really technical and say, that's for the dead, and that's for idol worship, and it also in the same chapter says, don't grow your side bears, don't, make, don't cut your sideburns. Let them grow out. So then we can get real technical and say, well that's cultural, what about the tattoo thing, is that cultural? And we can get real sticky about all that. But here's the reason why this pastor avoids this gray area. You ready? Because I can't see Jesus, my Jesus, doing it. That's the only reason. Because I can't see Jesus sitting in a tattoo parlor saying, hey, can you put a cross on my shoulder? <laughs> don't, don't, listen, I'm not, don't, I, I know it's, I'm being serious. And, and there are good people who have no problem with getting tattoos. Okay, good folks that love Jesus. And have no problem with that. But I'm saying, I want to avoid any area that could be potentially even look like it. That's what I'm preaching about. What about, what about tobacco? That's a gray area in our society today, especially in the church. The Bible doesn't say, thou shalt not smoke. The Bible doesn't say, thou shalt not chew. It doesn't say those things. The Bible doesn't say that at all. But the Bible does talk about you being the temple of the Holy Ghost. The Bible does talk about not destroying this temple. The Bible does talk about that stuff. And so I find that this is a gray area that Christians need to be careful. We need to be careful. Now I preach total, just push it aside. Get it out of your life. It's not becoming for a Christian. I don't feel it is. What about drinking? Here's a gray area. Now, I really firmly believe I have a good ground to stand on to say avoid it at all costs. 
and I could sit and teach all day long and decipher it and go through it. But the truth is, I've seen many Christians who have no problem going down, sitting down, and having a drink as long as they don't get drunk. And some of these folks are phenomenal people for God. They love the Lord. They love the Lord. I don't doubt that in one, one bit. But there, there's these gray areas. And what I want to say about these gray areas, Christian, I'll give you an example. If you saw me eating dinner with another woman other than my wife, my wife wasn't there, but you saw me sitting across the table with another woman eating, it would automatically raise questions, wouldn't it? You would begin to ask yourself, what's he doing over there? Where's his wife? Correct? Well, I'd hope you would. Amen. That's a gray area. And it may not even be a sin. It may not even be a problem. Maybe we're just over there chit-chatting, talking about Jesus. Maybe there's counseling going on. It's, but it's still a gray area. It doesn't look good. Are you following me now? Now, I can tell you one person it's going to be wrong to. It's going to be wrong to my wife. And my wife is surely going to drop kick the woman I was sitting next to. <laughs> Amen. Amen. <laughs> so, the point is, is that I don't go out and fellowship and eat dinner with other women because it would offend the very object of my love. It would offend my wife. It would offend you. That's a real gray area. I say to you that there are people who have come off alcohol who were raging alcoholics and they could not get deliverance until Jesus came into their life and pulled them out. I say to you, there are people who were so bound by smoking that they have to talk through a, a tube and they, they gargle their, through, their, through their saliva just to get words out and they have become believers and Christians and wish they never picked it up. I say to you that there are people who have lost their families and loved ones because they have gone Gambling, they gambled all their money away. And we find in the life of the Christian who says, in moderation, in moderation, not a big deal. It's religious, it's okay. I say, Christian, if there's any room for doubt, and you really, really want God, why would it be such a hard thing to push it all away? And say, I turn my back on anything that could even be viewed as offensive. I don't find anything wrong with that. But, but today, it's not easily preached. You see, Christian, we're not trying to see how much like the world we can be and still make it to heaven. We're trying to see how much of Jesus we can have in our life and still be on this planet. Amen? We're trying to do that. I don't know who's coming to play. Can you come? I'm done preaching tonight. 
I know I've said a lot of things, and I, and I hope I did not come across defensive because I have no stones to throw. I love every one of you so much. And I, and, and I may have talked about something you're struggling with and you're dealing with, but I promise you it was not intended to hurt or be offensive. I only, like I said, I only want to point us in a direction that it says I want him more than anything else in this world. That's all I want to do. I want us to be so in love with him that everything else in life just is only an add-on. It's just an addition to what we have in God. It's his blessings in our life. I say, Christian, come before the Lord with a heart that is prepared to meet him. So that way, when we praise, God goes... That smells so good. That while you're worshiping God with your attentiveness and listening to the word of God and you saying in your heart, oh, that's so good to me. Thank you for speaking that into my heart. Oh, that hurt, but I still love you, Jesus. God says, oh, that smells so good. That what God smells from our church is an aroma that attracts the presence of God in our church. That he comes in here and says, this is my house for these people. They love me above everything else. Everything.